Church, I'm excited this morning. We've got one of our leaders here at Res Life um, going to share the word this morning, Pastor David Tumasimi. Um, he's leading our worship department, and he has been a blessing. He is a blessing, and he's going to continue to be a blessing. Please give him a warm welcome in Jesus' name. Thank you. I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, you know, I had I had a lot of things ready, but I don't know if I'm gonna go what I what I had planned. If you don't mind, close your eyes with me for a moment, because I'm not I'm not the main guest this morning. It's it's the Holy Spirit, and unless He works with your heart where you are right now until he comes your thoughts down. The filter, of the lens of anything I might say will mean nothing. So Holy Spirit, take control in this room. We, I yield my mouth to you. I yield... I yield my notes to you. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Amen. Amen. Um, for those that don't know me, my name is David. You may hear an accent, but I think all of you have an accent about me. Um, so... In case you don't really understand what I'm saying, just smile at me and I'll know I need to repeat it a couple times. Um, but this morning, uh, I'm going to be talking about built to last. Um, when you're going through times like these and, and everything seems to be upside down for a Bible-believing Christian, and the question that for me that arises is does this catch God by surprise? Or am I the one caught by surprise? And if, and if it doesn't catch God by surprise, is there a way I could be aware about what God knows? Has he made his knowledge available? That when I'm going through something I don't fully understand, I know who does understand. I grew up in a family in Fort Porto, Uganda, where I remember, you know, when the poor people call you poor, you know you're in a different category of poor. <laughs> I mean, when we got sick, there was no hospital drive. It was, the Lord better do something. The floor is where cow dung flows. So every weekend, we would go collect cow dung from, from different farms so we could protect our flows from bugs coming in the house. My dad is a pastor. Going from village to village. And I kept wondering if, if this gospel is transforming. How about my house? I saw people get out of wheelchairs. I saw... I saw one dead baby get reason from the dead. 
people who would leave the crusade ground and come back to our two-bedroom house. <laughs> and I remember just, I didn't know any Bible principles except what I saw God do when we were out there in the villages. But I was wondering, why doesn't it happen behind these four, four doors? I remember waking up to my parents praying like you would not miss it. They never invited us in for prayer, but they were loud enough <laughs> that you couldn't stay asleep. So all you did was get on your, we had these triple bunk beds. You just jump off, go in the living room and join in. But there's, as I was reading Genesis, go to Genesis 1. Um, because it, it says the very first verse there. God made the heavens and the earth. And then the very next line is, God saw darkness over the face of everything he had created. And the very next line says, he spoke. I'm going to camp right there. What did he see? Darkness. What did he speak? Light. There's men in this room. If I asked you, what do you see right now? You would completely describe the darkness. You, dis you, you would describe the dysfunction. You would describe the, almost the, the depression, the pressure, the anxiety that this life has brought you to. You don't know what your family is going to add up to. You don't know what your finances are going to add up to. Probably even some of your 401ks, your savings now due to these interest rates and everything changing. You're wondering if you saved up enough. But I want to repeat that line. What do you see? And what are you going to speak? And I know this is not the name it, claim it kind of thing. Because if God is your father, and when he saw darkness, the inclinate nature in him went to let there be light. The inclinate in him is, that's not what I created. That's not the future of what I created. That's not the heart and the intent of what I created. Therefore, I am going to speak into the situation that was intended for harm. And I'm going to speak life into it. In other words, when God was creating this thing, he inbuilt in it an ability to overcome what is meant to destroy it. It's like if you go, if you go to buy a car from GM. Do I really have four minutes? <laughs> Hasn't changed yet. Um, if you go to buy a car from a car company... The builder of the car that you want has already put the future and the ability of that car on the inside of it. You buy that car by reading the manual. You know what you want. You know what size you need it. You know what horsepower you need. You know how much gas it's going to burn. You know how long you're going to drive it. They don't hand you the engine and give you the car body. And <laughs> they, they input everything in this one thing that you call car and you get on the road and you never have to call them again every single minute. Hey, how do I start the car? They give you a key. 
And if the God of heaven is saying, I'm going to create you in my image, put you in the earth. And then he says this, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that carry along on the ground. Here's what I see happening. God desired that his plan be made manifest in the manifest word. And he chose a man with a body to execute heavenly authority in a place that he saw darkness in. He says, I'm going to give man an unseen authority, an unseen power, so that he can operate in the sin world. In the sin world, I mean with the eyes, not S-I-N. <laughs> to operate in the manifest words with supernatural ability while he's moving. Why? Because he's going to see what I saw. He's going to see darkness sometimes. He's going to see, he's going to encounter forces of nature that are outside of everything I have innately created in him. And maybe what else he says is, this is what should come out of his mouth. Because of his fellowship with me, what's going to come out of his mouth is going to be, let there be light. What's going to come out of his mouth is going to be, I am in my father's hands. What's going to come out of his mouth is going to be, I am fully equipped, provided for. Can you imagine the first gospel to be preached to unbelievers was the book of Genesis? The Bible wasn't written before creation. So the people were created and 2,000 years later, <laughs> or maybe even 4,000 depending on how you count, then people got the Bible to understand who God was. So the book of Genesis, the book of the law, is the first gospel for this first generation people who could believe in God. And by him saying this, is like, you've been through so many things. You've seen Egypt. You have seen destruction. You have seen uh, death. You have seen wars. You have seen, the, and you're probably wondering, where is God amidst all of this? And he tells you, in the beginning, it was dark, and the Spirit of God was hovering over it. And I spoke, let there be light. What is he really telling you? I built you for this. I put something on the inside of you for this. If you're going to be my son, then there's some things I've instilled in you that every single process, every single journey you're on, begins to mean what I've put on the inside of you. I, I know if you go to 126, Genesis 1, 26, where God makes man, you know, it's, few translations call that chapter human being. But I looked up what the word human being means, and human is really humus, and it actually means ground, earth, flesh. And then being denotes it doesn't have a direct meaning that I could find, but it denotes a pre-existence. Like being doesn't have a beginning or an end. It's, it's a pre-existence. So in other words, when God is breathing into this man that he created, he puts in him pre-existence. 
what marks a man's beginning is because of the body that God put on him. That's why when it says to die is to be present with the Lord. You don't start being present with the Lord when you die, though. Your ability to have fellowship and communion with God is best upon your pre-existence nature. Here's what I mean. Because to have communion, you have to have something in common. What you have in common with God is spirit, being, pre-existence. And therefore, because you have something in common, now you can have union with God. And now we join those two together, we say communion with God. That's why communion in of itself is not just the bread and the drink that you drink. It's actually you saying, I identify with my family. I belong in this family. My future has already been sealed in this household. And this is the gospel, by the way, people are hearing in the early beginnings of people understanding what the gospel of Christ was. I love what Pastor is doing in the main services. He's going back and digging out the gospel in Genesis and digging out the different Old Testament sealed, concealed gospel in there. Why? Because what Paul is doing in the letters of Paul, he's really saying, I am in, God has given me a revelation. What does that mean? It was already there, but it wasn't seen yet. If you go to the gospels, there's a point where uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and Simon Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus' answer is like, you didn't know that, but my Father in heaven revealed it to you. What is he saying? It was there, but it wasn't perceived yet. You go back in the Old Testament. I mean, you see in the book of Exodus chapter 33, 34, everybody wants to see God. Moses is like, if I could do one thing, show me your face. Have you thought about this before? That Jesus came and they made an image. But every time they asked to see God, they never saw him. Because the idea of building images was so huge in, in the fallen nature. Because if someone had seen God, we would be having pictures and images of God in every house, <laughs> in every home, and probably God would cease being God because now I have an image of God in my house. But the fact that he uses being, this pre-existent spirit, in other words, there's not a single time you can go back and find God and not find him. Oh, there's no single time you're going to go in the future and not find him. God is on every single scale. That's why the word eternal life may not mean just a momentary experience. It's the quality of life that changes. Where am I saying all of this? When Adam fell, when Adam sinned against God, the authority that Adam had was turned over to the enemy. The fellowship that Adam had with God 
could not be possible in the spirit. Everything between Adam and God had to become a voice from the mountains, a tree on fire. It, it could not come from the inside anymore. God had now to start walking in ways where he can get the man's attention through things that were going on. And mankind from the beginning, right after the gar- of the garden, what happens? Cain kills Abel. People killing people. Polygamy is in. Babies being killed young. And then we have all this form of ungodliness just coming into where people are looking for God in every single corner. Trees became gods. The sun became gods. Moon became God. Days of the week were named based on what God they, they wanted to worship that day. Rituals kicked in. Everybody's searching for something that was lost at the beginning, but they're now looking for it in their finite mind because why? We have all these religions now. I worship the tree. You go to India, you can't have a cow farm anymore. You can't have cattle there because a cow is God. How many gods can you have on your, on, on your land? You go to some countries, the snake is a god, so therefore they, they can't have so many. You go to Africa and, and specific Tribes have specific things they look at to uh, as God. Monkeys, from monkeys all the way to whatever bird you could imagine. You go to Ethiopia, they have a whole history of, of a mixture between what's true and what is not. And they worship, they truly believe they're worshiping God. I'm saying this to show you that what man lost, he could not regain on his own. What man lost is people who don't have it today. Because if you look into the government, if you look into your bank account, I wish, there's a friend of mine in Texas, he's, uh, he's not really a friend like we know each other so well, I've read most of his work. His name is Doyle, and he does work in the Middle East, Indonesia area, and Iran. And when he tells you the, the joy and the excitement that when he's going there to do his documentaries or interviews, meeting people who were not ministered to by a person, but they said, I was visited by an angel. I had a voice and I came to the marketplace and I knew the person in a red hat, blue jacket was going to be a minister who was going to tell me about Christ. You go to villages where there's no hospitals in a hundred miles. This this where I grew up, we had cholera, we had Ebola, we had malaria, we had typhoid, we had dysentery. <laughs> I mean, go down the list. And and how we would do it is you would sit along the roadside and whoever could help you did whatever they could do. There was no specialist. Everybody was trying and erring. If you died, we know that didn't work. So that means the only solution was to find a church, to find a people that believed in a, in a God that could do something. Why? The darkness in the heart of man was beyond 
what man could handle. And sometimes we don't acknowledge that. You separate God from you, what is left is darkness. What is left is, is a mindset that will only see what you think you can do, but actually you can't even overcome. And here comes a man from heaven, and he empties himself the glory of God, and he's, 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 he's in this place. And sometimes we make it look cute. You know, it's like, wow, Jesus emptied himself. Look how much. Look at his love. But do you know the same mission Jesus is doing is the very first or second verse of Genesis? What do you think when he looked at us? What did he see? Darkness. And when he saw darkness, it provoked an action from him. What did he do? I am going to take light. When he came and says, uh, the Lord, the, the, m- God has anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel. What was this gospel? Open blind eyes. Release the captives. I could go on down that list. He shows up on the scene. And the people that thought knew the religion, knew the world about, about God and had built the theology, had built, had built an understanding of who God was, when he himself shows up, they have issues understanding, are you really saying you're from God? He says, I was with Abraham. And they're like, no way, you're too young to have been with Abraham. Nicodemus, one of the smartest people, comes up at night. He says, man, there's something about you. Man, you do miracles, you do these things. He wasn't really as impressed about what Christ did. He was really impressed about who Jesus was. And Jesus, in all of, in the, in the way he's trying to, he's like, you got to be born again. I'm not going to break down that whole chapter. And if you go on in verses 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He saw darkness and responded with light. I'm talking to people in this room. I know I can sense it right now. (laughs) That I, I don't know what you're going through. But every time you activate the word of God in your life, you have to speak it. Every time you want to activate health in your life, you have to speak it. Every time you want to activate God's provision in your life, you are the key. There is not a single time in the Bible where God wants to do something in the earth where he doesn't consult a human being. You go to Noah at the very beginning. God comes and says, no, man, I found grace with you. I got a mission. You go to Abraham when God wanted to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Why does he have to ask Abraham about it? When when the son of God is about to be born, God makes an appointment with a young lady in in the middle of Jerusalem. 
let me ask you this. If God wants to do something in Michigan right now, who is he going to make an appointment with first? If God wants to do something in your family, who is he going to make an appointment with? If God wants to do something in your finances, who is he going to make an appointment with? Turn to the person next to you. I'm built to last. Glory to God. It's, you, you are not in a place, and I know this is, is common. You can't wait to get to heaven. I'm on my way to Canaan land. You know, you, you just are ready to go and meet God. If God wanted for you to be with him as your, as your future goal, then there was no need for him to create the earth. Earth wasn't a failed mission of God. It wasn't a, a plan B. It wasn't a backup plan. This is how I know. In Genesis, God made the heavens and the earth. Revelation 21, 22. You were in the earth again. In the beginning, he put you, he, he created a body with a flesh on it. In the end, you have a body with a flesh on it. The ones that die early, they sit. In the book of Thessalonians, they will rise first and be clothed with a new body only to be transformed to where? The new earth. What is God saying now? I want to function with a person who has a body on them. I want to function in a world where I have kings and priests. If, if you understand it, Compared to the world system, you have kings and subjects. And God wants kings and priests. Huge difference. Why? Because he wants to walk through you and I. Whoever He told Moses, when you get to Egypt and Pharaoh sees you, he's going to think that you are God and Aaron is your prophet. I'll say that again if you didn't catch it. When you get to Egypt, Pharaoh will think that you are God and Aaron is your prophet. What is your Egypt? What's the place that you're bound at? That for some of what I'm saying, I thought I wasn't going to get through my notes. I knew it. <laughs> what is your Egypt? Maybe it's your mental state. In America, I hear this word of coping. It's you just cope with the demons and you learn how to survive. You know, take some Tylenol and do the other and you just be fine. Or, you know, just, just have constant this and almost you learn to manage. It's like, are you learning how to live like an Egyptian? That if you put mortar together, I give you a place to sleep. And then I can abuse you in the process. Because sometimes darkness creeps in like that. The places you think you're getting restoration and someone else is in charge of what God already gave you, you will live under bondage thinking you're living under freedom. 
And sometimes the memory of it, because of how far God has brought you, you will think Egypt was better than the far God has brought you in your deliverance. Because I know, I know they, we have a whole class on freedom here at Res. But most of the time when we're in the process of deliverance, we think we are free, but we're not in the promised land yet. And sometimes maybe there's men in here like, you know, you know what, David, I struggled with addiction. I struggled with this stuff. I've been through this. And now you feel like you're out of it. But maybe you're in the middle of the wilderness where you don't even know what's coming next. But, but what you've always known is what you've been freed from. But you're still being delivered. Because a delivered person is still bound by the mindset of their captivity. Solomon says, woe to a nation that is ruled by a former captive. Because all they know is to break the spirit of their subject. All they know is to function like their master. God lets an entire generation of delivered people die in the wilderness. And their kids experience the promised land. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm saying this to emphasize to you. You are built to last. But the power that comes out of you knowing you're built to last comes in your communion and fellowship with God and his word coming alive in you that it flows out of your mouth. That that the things that you begin to encounter when Moses reaches the Red Sea and, and the people are murmuring and, and they're pushing him over. He himself doesn't even know what to do, but he does one thing. He goes to God. He's like, okay, what do we do? And God's like, why are you looking at me? I've been with you. I've shown you. You know, for example, like God come down and put the way in the sea. God said, no, 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 no. You respond. I will do what you perceive I can do in your life. And Moses gets his rope. God, God gave him instruction, but God did not come to the Red Sea to get it for him. Moses put the rod in the sea. Every single moment was a man who knew God was present with them, and they stepped out. Daniel in the lion's den, he doesn't spend the night praying. You know how I know you didn't spend the night praying? Because when the king comes in, in the morning, they have to be like, Daniel, are you still alive down there? It means the boy was quiet. He was in the zone. Let me finish with this. And this is just one element. I know you know prayer. I know you know how to pray. I pray you do know. But let me throw this one challenge to end with this. Daniel is taken into captivity, into a Babylonian nation as a young man. We know the story. He rejects their food, rejects their, they were teaching them because they thought they were these stupid young boys that needed to be taught astrology and the wisdom of the world and, and do all of this. Daniel used to go in the window every single day, three times a day, and kneel there. And pray. 
an entire nation switched its agenda around. The, the wisest people who were counseling the king were so disturbed by somebody kneeling down and praying and not concerned about the wars they had to fight. They were not concerned about the land issues. They were not concerned about taxation. They were not concerned about property tax. They were not concerned about all of the challenges of development for a kingdom that was growing. A kingdom that was taking territory. It had taken Jerusalem. They are heavily concerned about this young person kneeling down in one room and praying. that they get to the point and say, how about we create a God so that we can get this young person in trouble so we can get rid of them? Santipas next to you, built to last. That's what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean you won't be attacked. Long story short, Daniel is praying and he outlives five kings of the Babylonian Empire because he prayed. And every time God spoke something, even the kings knew. Ask Daniel about that. Let me ask you. To me, those things, I end up asking myself questions. God, teach me how to pray. I know we have a lot in common. Are you tired of hearing, Lord, I pray that my prayers hit the ceiling kind of things? And yet you know there is a way that has already been revealed through his word. You know, to make even matters more interesting, David, Daniel prays a prayer in chapter 3, and it says it took 21 days for the answer to come because of the powers and principalities of the air. And Jesus comes and says, I have been elevated far above all powers, principalities, dominions, rulers, and you are seated with me in heavenly places. He's really saying that now if Daniel could pray underneath that oppression and something happens, then I've placed you in an ad, ad, a place of advantage. You are above all powers, principalities, dominions, rulers, powers of the air. So when you talk to God, you're not thinking like Daniel anymore. You've become to this place of more discovering and equipping everything God has put in your life to manifest through your life. How is it going to manifest? You walk in it. You speak like he spoke it. Why? Because in that is your last thing. I don't even know how to close this, Pastor Tom. <laughs> I feel like I could go for another 30 minutes. <laughs> if you don't mind, stand up on your feet. Stand up on your feet with me. Because we're going to make... Yeah, and I, I mean, I had a whole notes ready. It wasn't going to go this direction. I was going to talk about the man who came out in the marketplace. But I don't know if you're in this room... Or maybe there's several of you in this room. You feel like the clock is running out on you. 
you feel like there's some things you're meant to catch up on. But, man, the time is just going faster and even faster. Maybe you're looking at your grandkids. You're looking at your kids. And maybe you have regrets that you didn't th think you had time now to make up for. I'm here to remind you, you're built to last. And if you don't mind, lift up both hands. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this man. I thank you, Lord, that we were fashioned in your own hands. And Lord, you built us. You formed us. And most importantly, you instilled your spirit in us. That we may have communion and fellowship with you, Lord. And Lord, I, I thank you that you have elevated us far above all powers, principalities, rulers, dominions. That your exceeding great power is at work on the inside of us. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord. That we are children. We are heirs. Lord, may, may we increase in the boldness and assurance of walking in everything that you've made available to us, Lord. That we are your workmanship created for good work. May we be... May we be just the gospel that you have allowed us to be to our environments, to our communities, Lord. That we walk in, the, in forgiveness, Lord. That we walk in peace. We walk in patience. We walk in faith. We walk in long-suffering. We walk with joy. We walk in the gladness, Lord. You said they will know us because of the love we have for one another. And so, Lord, I counsel every attack of the enemy that no weapon forged against this group, against men that have in our circles of influence, against, Lord, anything that comes from the devil. Families, Lord, I thank you for every family represented here. I thank you for the peace that surpasses understanding in every single home and household. I thank you for breakthroughs, Lord, that you have blessed us and you have kept us and continue to keep us, Lord. That you've made your face to shine upon us and you've been gracious to us. And you've given us your peace. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen.